Broadcasting live from the Treasure Island Sports Club, it's In the Huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, presented by Tequila Embajador. I want to thank you very much for making my day in the sun so memorable. What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM on a Friday. We are live at the Treasure Island Hotel, the Golden Circle Sportsbook. I see Cowboys. I see Utah football fans. I see Oregon football fans. You know that the big Pac-12 championship game is going uh, on right down the street from us uh, over at Allegiant Stadium. Kickoff is uh, just after 5 o'clock. There's a big rodeo in town. Uh, so there's some Cowboys here, but they're all here. A bunch of them, anyway, uh, are here at the Golden Circle Sportsbook watching all the sports that we have on the televisions. Look like Boston College basketball, a little ACC tilt uh, going on on one of the TVs. we got horse racing, um, the whole nine yards. Uh, it's a sportsbook, and you can have a lot of fun, great food, great drinks. And we are here for the next two hours to break down the Raiders' home game against the Washington football team on Sunday, kickoff 1.05 p.m. at Allegiant Stadium. A huge game for the Raiders. They're all huge from this point forward. I'm not going to sit here and say every one of them, these last six games, is a must-win. But it wouldn't be bad. It wouldn't uh, hurt the Raiders a little bit. Uh, if that's exactly how they approached every single game the rest of the season, almost as a six-game playoff. They want to go to the playoffs. They want to uh, break that ceiling and get to the postseason for the first time since 2016, only the second time since 2002. Uh, to do that, they've got to navigate successfully these next six games, and that starts on Sunday over at Allegiant Stadium. But it's looking doubtful that their best player, arguably, uh, Darren Waller, uh, is going to be on the field, although there's still a little bit of hope. We spoke to Rich Bisaccia, the Raiders' interim head coach, today at the practice facility in Henderson. Here is Coach Bisaccia giving us an update on some of the injuries. Uh, good afternoon. Good. I'm doing good. Okay, um, let's just injury report for you guys. Waller still at this time is, is doubtful. Uh, we'll see how tomorrow looks. Uh, Patrick uh, will be out. Nassib will be out. Um, and then uh, D-Jack, Kwiatkowski, Nixon, and Josh will, will kind of make a final decision tomorrow. They, they ran around out there today a little bit through most of the practice. So um, we'll make a final decision how it looks tomorrow. And uh, So Carl Nassib out the Raiders reserve defensive uh, end, who's having a nice uh, season, a nice, really a bounce-back season from uh, what happened last year. Um, Deshaun Jackson who returned to practice today after missing yesterday with a little bit of a calf, uh, was out there. Uh, it looks like the Raiders will take that to tomorrow before making a final determination, maybe even um, you know, to the game. I, I, just, I, get, a, I get the feeling uh, that Deshaun will play, but you know anything could happen, and uh, he could wake up tomorrow, and it's aching, and he just doesn't want to uh, you know, take that chance. So we'll see. Uh, Darren Waller, doubtful. Kind of sounds dubious that he's going to play. I think you almost have to figure on him not playing. Uh, we got a chance to talk to his backup, Foster Moreau, uh, today over at the practice facility in Henderson, and I know he's fired up about um, you know getting his opportunity to fill some pretty big shoes. He's done it before. Remember, Darren Waller didn't play against the Philadelphia Eagles earlier this year, and that was arguably one of the Raiders' better performances of the season. It was that two-game winning streak. Uh, right after they beat the Denver Broncos and Foster, you know, held him, did fine, uh, did well. 
Uh, the Raiders didn't miss a beat, and uh, obviously it's a tough loss if Darren Waller can't play. But um, I think the more important thing is for Darren Waller to be healthy for the balance of the season. Uh, it's a home game against a Washington football team that, frankly, in spite of the three-game losing streak that they're, that they're arriving in Las Vegas with, I just think that the Raiders are the better team here. Um, I think that with where the Washington football team is defensively, they're missing some key players. They're not the most explosive offense, although uh, you know they present some challenges because they're a big, strong football team. Uh, their recipe for winning right now is to ball control, control the clock, run it, um, you know, take a few chances downfield with their with their young quarterback uh, Taylor Heineke, uh, put it in the hands of a defense uh, that's been able to kind of hang in there. It's your typical Ron Rivera coached football team and Jack Del Rio defensively coached football team, and it's worked. You know, they, they've won three straight games, and and good for them. Uh, good for R- Ron Rivera for trying to get this thing pointed in the right direction. But from a talent perspective. I just think the Raiders are better, and I just think that the Raiders' offense, if you're going off what happened against the Dallas Cowboys on Thursday, um, reclaimed some of what they had lost during the three-game losing streak. The explosive plays were back in the picture. Deshaun Jackson kind of went off with three catches for 102 yards. You had Hunter Renfro going off for 134 yards receiving. The, the running game got rolling with 143 yards uh, on the ground, which is a huge improvement and a huge difference uh, compared to what it had been doing um, at, par- at various times this year. So I think this offense, the explosiveness is back uh, with, this Raiders, with this Raiders offense. And I don't think, you know, frankly, when you look at Washington, they play the Seattle Seahawks on Monday night. It was a win, um, but I look at that Seahawks team and there's something wrong. Uh, with that team, whether it's defensively, which I think they've taken a big step backwards. Plus, Russell Wilson, I don't know if he's still dealing with the hand injury uh, or the finger injury or what the case might be, uh, but the accuracy wasn't there. The offense looked like it was stuck in first gear uh, the entire time. So that offense from Seattle and what you saw from the Seahawks against Washington in no way, shape, or form um, – looks like what the Raiders are capable of doing, even without Darren Waller. You know, uh, and they played the second half on Thursday against the Dallas Cowboys without Waller, and they really didn't miss much of a beat. That's not to say that they don't need him. Obviously, they do. And I think that's the key for them is to kind of get him through this stage of this injury to put him in a really good place uh, to be available to them for the rest of the season. The last thing you'd want to do at this point is bring him back a little bit too early and then lose him uh, for more games than just maybe the one game that he's going to miss here against the Washington football team. And let's not forget who comes up next at Allegiant Stadium a week from Sunday. Oh, or excuse me, it's there in Kansas City. Uh, I should get that straight because I have to get on an airplane at some point and head to Kansas City. But next week, that's who's waiting for the Raiders or the Kansas City Chiefs in Arrowhead Stadium. So, um not overlooking the Washington football team by any stretch of the imagination. If Darren Waller could play and was, you know, uh, either 100% or close to 100%, he'd be out there. But I think that this buys them a little bit more time for him to get back to where um, he really needs to be, like I said, in order to uh, make sure or ensure or help the cause in terms of him being here 
uh, and available for the last five games of the season. And when you look at those five games, and we've talked about this a lot, just think of who the Raiders have to play. Every single team on their schedule from next week on is a team that they're dealing with in their division, the Kansas City Chiefs, the Los Angeles Chargers to end the season, the Denver Broncos the day after Christmas, or that they're dealing with in terms of the wild card. You can already you could put the Denver Broncos in there. You could put the Los Angeles Chargers in there. Uh, th- those are two teams uh, that are in that wild card hunt from the AFC West, but also the Cleveland Browns and the Indianapolis Colts. Those are two teams that the Raiders probably have to be aware of uh, in the wild card chase. That's not to say that the Raiders are just, you know, um, throwing up the white towel as far as the division race. You think about it, if they win on Sunday against Washington and go to Kansas City and uh, return the favor to the Chiefs, the Raiders would be in first place in their division. That's a long ways off. Um, But you have to, to me, take a look at all the options. And uh, they're all realistic when you think about it because there isn't as as, as good as, as formidable as that schedule is down the stretch. And... Uh, every single team that we mentioned from here on out is in playoff contention, including, frankly, Washington. They're still alive in the NFC for a, a, a wild card and maybe even their division, depending on what happens with the Cowboys. But every team that they play, especially those AFC, t- AFC teams, represent a team that uh, could be headed to the playoffs or has legitimate playoff aspirations. So these are good football teams that they're getting ready to play. But nevertheless... I look at the Raiders at their best moments this year, and there's been enough best moments, good moments, um, to say that, hey, uh, this team, when it's going right, can compete with anybody in the NFL. And we've reiterated this, you know, uh, more than a few times. That hasn't always been the case. You know, we talked to Lincoln Kennedy earlier this week, uh, and what did he say? Well, the reason why he thinks this is different, why he thinks that this is a better team, and why he thinks that this team is in a better position to deal with these last six games than they have been in years past when this is the time of the season where they slip on that banana peel and kind of fall back on their back, and that's that. It's because they have a defense now. You know, I know the numbers can look a little bit, um, you know, they've given up, what, the third most points in the NFL. Um, But some of that is deceiving. The offense has given them short fields. Uh, the offense has, has thrown a couple of pick sixes. The offense, in um, the, during the three-game losing streak when they were kind of making the adjustment, uh, missing Henry Ruggs, that offense at that point was not being efficient. Uh, they weren't getting a lot of first downs. They weren't converting third downs into first downs. Uh, and they essentially, as a result, kept overexposing the defense. Uh, the defense was on the field way too much especially against the Kansas City Chiefs and especially against the Cincinnati Bengals. They were on the field entirely too much. And close games that the Raiders' defense was hanging in there on became blowouts in the fourth quarter because they were dead tired by the time the fourth quarter came rolling around. So we, all, we always talk about this, how important complementary football is. Um, and and when, we, when you talk about that, you know, you're not just talking about, you know, the run game versus the pass game and, you know, the pass rush uh, complementing the, the back end on the secondary and coverage. You're also talking about 
the offense taking some of the pressure off of the defense and vice versa. How do you get the ball back into the hands of Derek Carr and the offense? You make stops on third downs. Um, and you do that, you're helping yourself, number one, because you get to go back over to the sideline uh, and take a, uh, a rest. Uh, and then you put it in the hands of the offense to give them more opportunities to score. And when the Raiders have done that and the offense is doing its thing at a fairly high level, it's just it, it complements everything and it balances everything out. And then all of a sudden this Raiders defense is way more fresh uh, than, they, than they would be if you weren't. That helps the pass rush because all of a sudden when you really need guys to make plays off of the edge, Max Crosby, Yannick Ngakwe, they're just in a better physical uh, uh, conditioning position to make those plays. You know, when you're dead tired and when you've been out there playing way too many snaps, that's gonna, you're going to feel that in the key moments, especially in late in, you know, middle of the fourth quarter, late in games, where you absolutely have to have it. Uh, and if you keep going to that well, pretty soon that well is going to run dry. And that's kind of what happened um, in, those, in the, a couple of those games, the Bengals and Chiefs in particular. So when you start looking at this defense now and take that out of the equation, when, when this offense is functioning well, this defense plays much better. And the reason I say all that is because that wasn't always the case the last couple of years. Even when the offense was playing great, and there were moments last year where this offense was lights out, it didn't matter. Because whether the defense was fresh, <laughs> whether the defense um, you know, was, was dead tired, it didn't matter. They were continually giving up points, continually giving up first downs, continually um, coughing up leads and games and, and, and all of that. Uh, I just feel like this year there's much, much less of that and fewer times where this defense has been a liability. And so when you look at these last six games of the season, you can make a, an argument that the Raiders are – as well positioned as they have been in a long time to close this deal because there's a balanced a balanced um, roster that complements each other. We're going to go out to the Raider Nation listener line. Uh, Silver Fury is on the line. How are you doing, Silver Fury? <laughs> Sorry about that, on, man. Vinny, how- <laughs> it's okay. How are you doing? I'm doing good, thanks. How's it going? Good, it's going good. Hope life is uh, treating you well. Absolutely. Um, I just had just uh, two points. Uh, one, uh, you know, regarding what what you said, uh, uh, just the point you're making regarding the offense and the struggles that you had in Rugs. You know, I, the observation I had with Rugs leaving, it wasn't so much that three game losing streak. I thought that was, you know, because we didn't have Rugs. It was, it was more of just how much of the identity he carried with him, with the uh, with our over the top, you know. Um, tactics and what we like to do with them just in general you took them out of the equation we didn't have that anymore and the defense has changed completely on how they approached us and i think they spent the three games trying to figure out how we're going to get back what's our new identity going to be you know and then djax comes in and last and the dallas game kind of showed it we went right back to it over the top uh speed kills and um everything opened up again so it was you know i think olsen was just trying to find how are we going to create this new identity? Cars going through the same thing. And I think that Dallas game kind of validated that. Um, and, you know, if you can comment on that when, when I'm done, that, that'd be great. And then uh, just my keys to the game, I think at this point, uh, 
when Carr's aggressive, we win. I mean, if you look at the game, look at our record this year. When he's aggressive, when he's pushing the ball, even he's throwing in a double coverage, single coverage, but when he's pushing the ball down the field, we win. We score points, we win. He might throw a pick, but we win. But when he's tentative and, you know, we're, 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 uh, we're, we're, we're dumping it off short, we're, we're not throwing to the sticks, and, it, you know, we're not putting up uh, any points, we lose. And I think the key to this game, as long as we just push the ball down the field, I know they're going to bring it on defense, but we got to push the ball down the field. we got to force the issue on them. And, I completely uh, that's all agree. I got. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Vinny. No, uh, uh, it's, I mean, what you just said, uh, I've got both hands raised uh, up right now uh, because I'm in complete agreement. When this offense is aggressive, when it's taking chances downfield and completing chances downfield, that's when this offense is at its best. That was the whole point. Um, we talked about this yesterday in the drafting of Henry Ruggs. That piece of that puzzle, along with Darren Waller, along with Hunter Renfro, along with Josh Jacobs in the running game, uh, and you know Brian Edwards drafting him a little bit later in that draft, it was all part of a puzzle. And uh, it was working. It was working exactly the way the Raiders had envisioned, and it was only going to get better from that point on. All right, we know uh, what happened. Henry Ruggs isn't on the team anymore. Uh, and that was a huge loss for them. And it just, you can't, I mean, I, I get it. They need to stay aggressive, and they have to. But there's another end to that as well, and they have to have the kind of pieces that you need in order to remain aggressive. And I think there was a little bit of a lull as Deshaun Jackson was getting acclimated. If you remember, he wasn't playing a whole lot of snaps those first couple of games. That jumped to 41 last week against the, uh, against the Dallas Cowboys, and it changed everything. Because him being on the field more, the comfort level that he's created now with Derek Carr, now all of a sudden Derek Carr feels good about taking those chances downfield. And I don't expect that to deviate. Uh, and that's why it's important for Deshaun to be out there uh, on Sunday. I know he's dealing with a calf injury. We'll see. Uh, I think he's going to play, but you never know. Uh, but I think it's, it's important and critical that he's on the field. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be 40 plays a game moving forward, but he's got to be there and he's got to be involved because, uh, as Silver Fury said, that's when the Raiders are at their best, when they're being aggressive and taking chances downfield um, and stretching the field. And then that opens up everything for the rest of their offense, and all of a sudden that offense becomes much more efficient. We're going to go back out to the Raider Nation listener line. Mark in the Bay Area is on the line. How you doing, Mark? Hey, Benny. How you doing? Doing great, thank you. Hey, um... This is such, I mean, this is, every game gets bigger as the season goes on. This is the biggest game of the year. There is no way we can lose to this team because I'm with you. I really feel like we are the superior team. Um, but I really think it's going to come down to a battle of will. And, um, you know, they, they say blocking and tackling, blocking and tackling. This team, they hang their hat on running the football, especially the last three games. You know, they'll try some play action. Um, the kid does scare me a little bit when he can get outside the pocket, but um, I really think our front seven is playing much better, especially in that Dallas game. I thought Hankins flashed pretty well, uh, Solomon Thomas. So this front seven really has to have the you know same type of game and shut down that running game. And if we can jump on these guys early, I'm thinking even if we win the toss, let, let's let's take the ball and let's go put seven right away. You know, get them down 10, maybe 14 points, and take away that running game. But um, really it's going to be, it, uh, to me, Vinny, it's going to be a battle of will of 60 minutes, one play at a time for as long as it takes. 
because these guys will try to keep running and running unless we can, you know, unless we can get a big lead on them. Um, so, uh, but yeah, offensively, uh, offensively, if we can't get the run game going, you know, let's get Kenyon Drake going a little bit on those short passes like Bill Walsh used to do with the Niners. You know what I mean? Like, um, those are just, just as good as running plays. And I could see Del Rio coming with the blitz a little bit. So I hope we've got some screens set up to Jacobs or, you know, to, to Drake and, Anyways, those are, those are just some of my thoughts. Want to kind of get your thoughts on that. Yeah, great call, Mark, uh, and I appreciate it. Um, and, and, and you're right. I think that taking away the run game uh, from the uh, Washington football team is critical. And sometimes, like you said, how you do that is you get up big early on and you just take that out of the whole equation. Uh, but beyond that, and I do like how the Raiders played the run on Thursday against the Dallas Cowboys. It was a marked improvement and difference compared to the way they played it against the Cincinnati Bengals. And you're right, that front four uh, of the Raiders, and really the front seven, because you're talking about the four down linemen and the three linebackers, uh, sometimes two linebackers based on the package, uh, but both have to be playing well. And I thought that the Raiders linebackers uh, and you know uh, uh, Jonathan Abram um, and Nate Hobbs in the uh, in, at, at, at slot cornerback, I felt like the run fits on that side of things was a lot better against the Dallas Cowboys. And that's where the Raiders have kind of gotten hurt sometimes uh, in the run game. It's not just the fault of the defensive line. Sometimes they're doing their job. But if a linebacker, if a safety, if the slot cornerback uh, isn't where they need to be in terms of their gap assignments, filling holes, then that's where the Raiders get gashed. So that's a complimentary part of the Raiders' defense too. But I'm completely with you. I think the Raiders need to lock that down, shut that down, uh, and make sure that the run game is negated because, really, that's how Washington has been able to, to be successful these last few weeks. You know, and then you take, it, take some chances with Heineke downfield uh, and in the pass game, but it sure helps him when that running game is functioning. It's something that the Raiders have to make a priority to slow down and stop uh, on Thursday, or excuse me, on Sunday at Allegiant Stadium. One more call before we take a break. H is in Albuquerque. How you doing, H? Hey, Vinny. Nice to talk to you. Likewise. Hey, uh, you know, I've been an unwavering supporter of Derek Carr from the very beginning. And one thing I saw uh, in the game that was really encouraging to me, because, yeah, I think he's a quarterback that makes all the throws. But the one criticism I have uh, or I've had is his pocket awareness and his uh, moving around in the pocket. But this game, I can't recall seeing a game where he's played better moving in the pocket. And there was one play that really stood out to me, although he made several great ones, late in the game when he pumped fake twice to the flat and then threw deep to Hunter, a wide-open Hunter Renfro, and it really seemed like they'd been working on it because I just saw a marked improvement in his ability of moving around in that pocket. And his line protection has been up and down his whole career. He's seen the best and the worst of it. And it was something to me that I felt like he really needed to work on. So I'm hoping that that is uh, indicative of his future play. Because when he moved around like that, unstoppable. He's the engine that makes it go, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, H, I completely agree with you. Uh, he was decisive in the pocket on Thursday. And, you know, when the not, – not just in terms of decision-making, but techniques, um, his footwork, uh, the way he was holding the ball and clutching with two hands, uh, the confidence that he showed in the offensive line, I think Lincoln – brought that up earlier this week the you know sometimes you just have to you have to have faith more faith that the offensive line is doing their job because when you don't um sometimes you're going to react to something that's not happening and not 
and, and react a little bit badly to what's not happening. So I thought, I'm with you, H. He was really strong in the pocket. And even when he moved around a little bit in the pocket, he was really decisive with the footwork, really decisive with his decision-making, and it showed. And if that can carry over, um, that really helps this offense without question. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. We're live at the Treasure Island Hotel at the Golden Circle Sportsbook. It's a Friday night in Las Vegas. you got Cowboys. You've got University of Utah football fans and Oregon football fans getting ready to make their way over to Allegiant Stadium to watch the big Pac-12 championship game. Uh, and when we come back, a good friend of mine, Heath Schneider, is going to be joining us. He is in charge of Sextros. Uh, remember, we've been talking about that uh, pretty much every day uh, here at Raider Nation Radio. And uh, the recipe that his grandmother came up with uh, back in Templeton, Iowa, and how it caught the eye of a lot of people during Prohibition, and now it's available to you now. You're in the huddle with Vinny Monsignor. Talk to you after the break. You're listening to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Now, back to your host, Vinny Bonsignor. What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM on a Friday. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. We are live here at the Treasure Island Hotel, the Golden Circle Sportsbook. Plenty of televisions, uh, great food, great drinks. Um, a lot of people getting ready to have it, go enjoy their Friday night, whether it's over uh, at Allegiant Stadium where it's the Pac-12 championship football game uh, tonight between Utah and Oregon. There's a big rodeo in town. So as usual, a lot going on in Las Vegas. But before I get to that, I want to tell you guys uh, a little bit about my new friends over at Sextros. And they're putting a contemporary spin on an American classic. You know, during Prohibition, the little town of Templeton, Iowa, became one of the liquor capitals of the world. And a pioneering mother, driven by the need to feed her family, crafted a farmhouse brew that ended up becoming an American, an iconic piece of an American history. Through word of mouth, Lorreen Sextro's distinctive creation spread from St. Paul to St. Louis and Omaha to Chicago, where Al Capone referred to it as the gold standard. That recipe has survived decades of copycats and imitations. Meanwhile, Mama Sextro's secret concoction was passed on from generation to generation, and now, nearly 100 years later, her grandson Heath has brought it back to life. And what was once only enjoyed by Big Al and his connected associates is now available to you. I've personally tried it, and it's exceptional. It's fresh, it's clean, and it's a superior sp spirit for any cocktail. Visit sextros.com, that's S-E-X-T-R-O-S.com, for all their products and recipes and where you can find it locally. Go get connected over at sextros.com, S-E-X-T-R-O-S.com. And by the way, it is my pleasure to welcome in that grandson, Heath Schneider. He is the CEO over at Sextros. Heath, welcome aboard. I really appreciate you spending some time with us. I listen to this story. I read it every day. And uh, the history of it all and the intrigue of it all where your grandmother out of need during the prohibition, I'm sure it was also uh, the, the Great Depression probably was going on. Correct. Uh, yes. As well. So people had to do what they had to do to make a living, put food on the table, all of that. And she was ingenious in what she came up with. Uh, and the fact that word spread from there and then all of a sudden Templeton, Iowa, where it was all you know, uh, being done became like this liquor capital of the world. Why don't you explain a little bit about that whole story and how it survived right up until now where you're kind of bringing it back to life? 
Well, thank you, Vinny. Uh, you you do the uh, explanation so well. <laughs> you <laughs> really you. do. Th- and thank you for that. Uh, just a little town of Templeton, Iowa, 350 people in 1930, 350 people today. So just small-town America. Everybody knows everybody. And at that time, that town was going through a tough set of decisions in that you weren't selling crops, cattle, pigs, chickens. No one could really find that in their budget, but they sure as heck could afford good quality liquor. Right, exactly. So uh, my grandmother was always a crafty, crafty type of person, crafty with pies, crafty with bacon and eggs, cr- crafty with gardening. And, you know, the thing to make at that time was liquor. Right. Uh, especially if you could make good liquor. Right. And she just used her decades of experience with yeast mm-hmm. and came up with a liquor recipe that ended up being world famous at that time if you were lucky enough to get it. Right. And, I mean, people would travel 300 miles on dirt right. road, two-track dirt roads. You know, they didn't have interstates back then. Or throw barrels on rail cars and ship it, you know, as you've described, St. Paul, St. Louis, Omaha, Chicago. That just happens to be where the Burlington Railroad would run back then. Right. So... That railroad runs right through little old Templeton, Iowa, so they became, by way of location and quality, a world-class spirit that was known as the gold standard in the 30s. Right, and um, I know this was a long time ago, uh, uh, and I know that you're a history buff. We've talked about that, and so obviously, it's a, and this is a passion uh, of yours, and it runs from generation to generation in your family, but how did word spread back then so that other people were aware of it miles and miles away just word of mouth jeez it really just word of mouth you know one person tells another person another person tell the next thing you know people are driving from the city to this town trying to find where they can find this and you know i mean you know word of mouth went a long way in the 30s right you know you hear each other's phone conversations because one line would service 20 houses right and it's so hard to explain those things to people in this age because it's so different today versus what they were doing and what they had to go through at that time to do what they did, which is one of the things I respect so much about what my grandmother did. I mean, we're talking about chips down, right? you know, up against it, kids to feed, nothing to sell. And out of the blue, she learns how to make a, uh, a whiskey right. out of rye that becomes world famous. And she's just one of the ten families that did that right. at that time. Right. She's the only one that I know of that didn't get caught. <laughs> yeah, that's that was the key to the thing to it all <laughs> yeah, too, right? That helped. They got the wrong farm. She wasn't so much smart as lucky. Okay. Like her, yeah, like her, that counts sometimes too. Like her grandson. Right. And then on top of that, she uh, she just had a care for quality and had a craft for yeast and and just got into this network of an entire community. The whole town of Templeton, Iowa was in on this. Right. The sheriff, the mayor would turn (laughs) the water on at midnight. You know, they'd raid from another county because this county wouldn't convict. I love it. You know, that's the the spirit of what she did and what she made. And I'm so excited to share it because no one makes liquor like this in the world. Right. We're making it like they made it in a barn in 1932 in a field right. in the middle of nowhere in 1932, which, in my opinion, is so much better in taste. And I, I've come up with a new little pitch phrase. I hope you don't mind me Go trying, for it. trying it on you, but I call right. it 
great taste, less illing. Oh, there you go. <laughs> All right, I like that because it does. It, fe- it does just taste great. It, right. it, it it actually feels, and I, you know, I try not to get into feel with, with alcohol. Right, right. But we all know some liquors we've had where the next morning it's like, oh, my God. Yes, yes. What hit me? I'll, I'll, I'll raise my hand to that. Okay. Uh, well, it's happened. <laughs> I'm on the polar opposite of that because right. we use no chemicals, right. no malting, purely organic, right. and four gallons at a time. Wow. As opposed to? 10,000 yes. gallons at a time. All right. So that tells you, it gives you a little idea of the care. Right. Um, and, and not overdoing it for the sake of you know what and yeah. doing it correctly. Yeah, right. just speeding the process and, and hurrying through it and just getting to yield as fast as you can. Right. We've got a master distiller named Whiskey Rich who's okay. a fifth-generation bootlegger I love, I, on I the like team. that. Right. And he's got two apprentices. I'd like to shout it out to him. Um, Go for it. Max and Alec. Hello, Max and Alec. Yep. They're the next generation. They've actually picked up this craft. They've been taught by Whiskey Rich. Do a fantastic job of making exactly what my grandma made in 1932. Tell us about the recipe because uh, this is like some sacred holy grail almost that's yeah. been in your family for a long time. Correct. Um, and you know when when we talk about these type of things, uh, yes, it's secretive. It has to be because that's the key to the whole thing. Right. Um, when were you? Well, first of all, when did you become aware of what your grandmother was doing? Yeah. If if you didn't know all along, uh, and B, when did you get your hands on that on that recipe? So I knew late in her life that she had bootlegged. She was very secretive about it. Even when she'd tell me, she'd look over her right shoulder or her left <laughs> shoulder and go, "Hey, I used to make whiskey." <laughs> you did know? you believe it? I mean, I, well, yeah, because the town of Templeton was was infamous. Okay. I mean, Templeton itself. The story's been told for the record. You right. know, I don't want to get into all that weed. Yeah. But the story's been told. We just happen to have the original recipe for that story right. versus somebody says, hey, that's a great story. Let's go buy some whiskey up in Indiana and tell that story. It's a got great it, idea. Got so, it. Got it. So we actually, you got the real deal. Correct. Yeah. And our recipe is painfully simple. It's water, sugar, rye, and yeast. Okay. So it's that, it's that, that's it. Right. You know, um, what's, it, what's unique to what we do is how we use water, sugar, rye, and right. yeast. How we make them work together. How we get to a liquor product. And that's the, the piece that I bring to, to today right. is some version of water, sugar, rye, and yeast that turned into an, an exceptional liquor product. Right. And, and fortunately, you've had it. I've had it. It's really good, and it's really smooth. And um, you don't it, – it, it, the smoothness of it um, and the ease that it goes down, uh, it's not like a normal – when I've had whiskey before or, you know – it kind of gives you that little jolt a little bit. Like, you know, this doesn't. And I'm not just saying that because you're sitting here right now. That's the, <laughs> the, the truth of the matter. Um, and, uh, by the way, we're talking to uh, Heath Schneider. He is the CEO of Sextros. He's done a wonderful um, thing to uh, breathe life into uh, his grandmother's passion. She did it out of necessity. Um, I think you're doing it uh, out of honor and then to also, uh, you know, make it uh, available to all of us. Uh, which is a, a, a great thing. Um, and if you can talk about that process and where you guys are and some of the newer products that you guys uh, are, are unveiling un, uh, un, lately. Yeah, so um, I just got to make one correction. Go ahead. Um, I'm the bootlegger's grandson. Okay, that's right. What did I say? <laughs> the CEO. CEO, oh, okay. The C- I, oh. that, that's a misprint. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, absolutely. All right. But um, I always try to clarify that because – 
I prefer bootleggers, Grant. I like that too. I like that Plus too. Plus, it's a little more honest with who I really am and right. what I really do. I'm, I'm a promoter of the product. I'm right. a huge fan, obviously. And right. My passion in life is to bring my grandmother's recipe to the world. Right. Got it. So, um, putting that into context, we've got some fantastic products coming out. Right. That are going to be really fun. In that, um, we're creating a a clear spirit meaning it hasn't been in a barrel, Okay. that we think will be the ultimate base for any cocktail. Right. Meaning that you could replace gin, tequila, vodka, rum, right. any clear spirit with this spirit. Got it. And it will make your cocktail smoother, cleaner, tastier, almost barely noticeable with the, with the alcohol content. Got it. It's okay. very soft and sweet and smooth. So we're bringing that product out really soon. And then in addition to that, we have our aged product, which aged product represents the time, the place. The, the, you know, it's literally a piece of American history. Yes, it is. And that's going to be in the same bottle, but obviously it'll have a dark color to it. It'll be aged in oak barrels from Minnesota for anywhere from 18 to 64 months. Right. And it will be uh, distilled to a proof of anywhere from 150 Whoa. down to 115. Okay, I like the sound of that. So you know that's what we're that that's our newest rendition. Right. And um, we're really excited about it because it's going to take our five bottle lineup and, and drop it down to two. Right. With a really special high proof as a accessory piece. Got it. Got it. All right. So we have a lot of listeners here in Las Vegas. We have a lot of listeners all over the country. Uh, if you can let uh, them know, uh, our listeners, hey, where where can they go get it? Whether it's going into a store, whether it's going online, um, how can they uh, go buy some um, sex rows? So um, we're offered on the shelves in states like uh, Missouri and Nebraska. Um, we're uh, offered under a, a second brand known as Iowa Legendary Rye okay. in Iowa. Right. Um, you can go online, sextros.com. Got it. I think that's the best place to get our product right now. Right. It's the best price. We're working on doing some free shipping here soon. Okay. All right. You know, you buy a couple bottles. That way you get one for Vinny, one for your friends, one for your family. like the sound of that. Yeah. So um, that's coming out soon. But the website's really easy. As you've described, it's yep. sextros.com. Right. And you can order a bottle of the clear. You can order a bottle of the aged. I can tell you this. You've never had anything like this. I guarantee even if you've had every liquor on the planet, because we make this unlike anybody else in our proprietary stills that right. we also make. Right. You've never had anything like this, and it will be special. Without giving away the whole secret, um, could you shed any light on why it's different the, the, in, in terms of uh, the process of, of making it? It's a great question. So three things. Number one, we do not use chemicals. Okay. We don't use enzymes. Right. That's very hard to do because most people use enzymes to break down grain quickly so that they can get the starches out, let the yeast eat the sugar, which creates alcohol. Okay. There's your little lesson in how I to I like liquor. it. Okay. Okay. So we actually instead long soak our rye. We take our rye and we soak it for weeks. Okay. And then we just let it sit there and plump up and get to a point where Whiskey Rich says it's ready. It's got a, it's got a scent. It's got a look. It's got a taste. It's at that point in time that we add our sugar, we let that sit for another couple weeks, and then it's at that point in time that it's our original recipe. But we also don't use malt, malted barley, okay. which is another version of a chemical. Malted barley has an enzyme in it okay. that creates a quick breakdown. Right. So the difference between us and everybody else is we're taking our time with it. Yep. You know, we're doing it really small, 
we're letting nature take its course. And by doing that, you know, keeping the chemicals out, keeping the malting out, keeping all of the hurry, hurry, hurry out and making it in small batches, it tastes and feels like nothing else. And I can definitely attest to that. And we're talking to the bootleggers grandson Thank you, sir. Heath Schneider um, and uh, it's a great product I'm glad you were able to spend some time with us to shed some light on it uh, I've been talking about it every day uh, on air I wanted to get your voice uh, and put a, 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 a name and a face and a, and a voice uh, to what we've been talking about and also to let everybody know where to go get it uh, and really I think it's the, the, the story behind all of this on top of the fact that this is a great product, the story behind it just makes it so much more compelling. Um, and, and we're proud to be a, a part of it with you. So uh, good luck to you. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. Uh, like Heath said, sextros.com. That's S-E-X-T-R-O-S.com. Uh, it's the perfect gift for the holidays. It's the curf- perfect gift uh, or, or product to spice up one of your parties, uh, whether it's a holiday party, New Year's, Christmas, uh, you know the wh- wh- what I'm getting at. So the perfect time to go to sexrose.com uh, to go ahead and, and, and pick up some, some great product. Thank you, Heath, for spending some time with us. Really Thank appreciate you, it. Vinny. I appreciate you very much. You Thank got you. it. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bajador, Radio Nation Radio, 920 a.m. on a Friday. Welcome back to In the Huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, live from the Treasure Island Sportsbook. Our thanks to Heath Schneider, uh, the... Bootlegger's grandson uh, for stopping by and talking about Sextros. Um, I'm sitting here looking at a, uh, a brand new bottle right now. It's not even out for the public um, just yet. So uh, I'm looking forward to uh, an old-fashioned, right? An old-fashioned. I'm going to make an old-fashioned uh, sometime this weekend, uh, maybe after the Raider game on Sunday. Um, and we'll see what happens on Sunday. Uh, you know, I, six games left. Uh, Q Myers, uh, our great uh, colleague, uh, and host of Unnecessary Roughness, you know, likes to talk about, it, and I agree with them, um, until it's a must-win, you don't call it a must-win, uh, because the Raiders can uh, not win this game against the Washington, still survive, and still reach their goals. So it's not a must-win um, in the classic sense of a must-win. Their season's not going to finish uh, or be over uh, if they lose uh, on, on Sunday. They're not going to be out of the playoffs if they lose on Sunday. But... It's as close to a must-win as possible, and they really all are uh, at this point. You know, um, the Raiders slipped up a couple of times this year. You know, the loss to the New York Giants and the loss to the uh, Chicago Bears uh, being the most glaring um, missteps in my estimation. Uh, I think the Cincinnati Bengals, they just didn't play well in in that game. They didn't play well against the Giants. If you remember what was kind of hanging over their head um, in the Chicago Bears game, uh, what had happened 48 hours uh, before that? Um, not to make excuses, but you know when you, you when you're in my job uh, as somebody who covers the Raiders for the Las Vegas Review Journal, somebody that talks about them uh, every day uh, on the air, you have to take a look at everything, and you can't just dismiss anything because oh, you don't want to go down that road as, of excuses. Uh, look, there's sometimes valid explanations, and and everything kind of plays into it. And the Raiders have been dealing with uh, a lot of stuff this year, uh, a lot of you know uh, uh, interruption and disruption uh, in terms of focus and you know having to just play through a lot of stuff that they don't have much control over, but does affect them. Um, and in particular, in that Chicago Bears game, they just didn't look like they were uh, anywhere near being the Raiders team that we had seen 
you know, prior uh, to that game. A lot of penalties, a lot of drop balls, uh, shooting themselves in the foot. And, and so the long sh- uh, and, and short of it is that loss, the Giants' loss, um, and to some extent the, the, the Bengals' loss as well, where I, I, I also felt like they just weren't there uh, 100%. Um, not accusing them of a lack of effort by any stretch of the imagination, but their focus seemed to be a little bit off, and that displayed itself in some silly mistakes and some careless uh, penalties that really did hurt them. Uh, but because of those losses, you know, they've, they've, they've put themselves in a position where there's not a lot of leeway. There's not a lot of cushion here. Um, you know, you, you like to get to a point in this time of season where you do have a little bit of leeway and you can slip up maybe or have a bad day and it's not going to be as critical uh, as having a bad day will be now. They're 6-5. and five. There's six games left in the season starting on Sunday at Allegiant Stadium against the uh, Washington football team. There's, there's not much margin for error. And maybe that's a good thing at this point. You know, maybe that's... Uh, you know, nothing gets somebody's attention more than it's basically win or else time of the year, right? And so that's going to heighten everything, the senses, the focus, uh, the discipline, you would think. Um, And I think, I'm going to say this too, I think the Raiders have been through so much uh, this year um, that to me, it's, it's sharpened them a little bit. Like, this is... I've been doing this for a long time. A lot of what's happened this year is just unprecedented. You don't expect some of the things that's happened to them to happen. Uh, You can't account for it. You can't prepare for it. You can't practice it. There's no book uh, to go by. There's no blueprint to follow. Uh, You just have to roll with it as best as possible. And I think the Raiders have done a pretty decent job of that. Yeah, uh, there's been some games that they would look back on right now and kind of regret uh, how they played and, and, and you know, uh, the carelessness uh, at, in some passages that they played with. But they can't do anything about it other than learn from it and other than try to be better for that uh, and make sure it doesn't happen again. And I think between those experiences of when you shoot yourself in the foot, there's a steep price to pay, and it usually is paid – by a loss rather than a win. That experience coupled with the understanding that they have of when they do play well, they can beat anybody. And I go back to the season opener against the Baltimore Ravens. In spite of falling into a 14-0 hole to start that game, uh, the Raiders got their act together and played a hell of a football game to beat the Baltimore Ravens, who right now, record-wise are the best team uh, in the AFC. And so that when you can establish that sort of a um, level for yourself, there's, then, then you know that. It's, it becomes a um, – in your, in your mind, you know that you can get to that level if you do A, B, Z, D, all of those. If you can do all of those things, you can play that well and beat whoever is on – uh, you know, in front of you. So they've established that belief that if they take care of business, they could beat anybody. And I think that that, plus knowing what can happen when they don't, is going to set themselves up pretty well for these last six games because they know what they have to do 
and they know what they have to avoid. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador, Raider Nation Radio 920 AM on a Friday. We're live at the Treasure Island Hotel, the Golden Circle Sportsbook. Come on by. It's a great scene. There's a lot of people here, a lot of televisions, a lot of sports, a lot of food, a lot of drinks. Come enjoy yourself on a Friday night here at Treasure Island.